I grew up in an environment that was very challenging uh, for a child and, and even for a newborn. I, I was born to a mother that was 18 years old and she was not prepared to be a mother. My brother was born a year before me, so she was 17 or 18 when he was born. Right after my birth, probably within about six months, my parents were divorced. My father, after the divorce, I never really had any contact with him. He uh, died on a cruise ship of a combination of drugs and alcohol. My mother remarried to my first stepfather, and he was in the military, and uh, he seemed to be a, a caring person. But he went to Vietnam, and probably one of the more defining moments in my life, in my mother's life, and my brother's was when I was about eight years old. He had been over in Vietnam, and I remember my mother coming into the house, and there was a, a relative on either arm, and she was a complete mess in tears and very upset and we didn't know what was going on and, and my brother and I were told that day that my stepfather had been killed in, in Vietnam. Actually he had committed suicide. My mother chose the route of, of alcoholism at that point. She was very distant and my brother and I were pretty much left on our own. During that period of time the memories I have of my mother are a lot of, a lot of uh, fear and her trying in ways to get her needs met through my brother and I. There was a lot of bitterness, depression, and um, anxiety that we could see in her face, and it mirrored to my brother and I. And as we grew up, um, for me personally, it became a, a source of anxiety that, that I felt on a fairly regular basis. My mother met another man, and they were married, I guess I was probably, uh, I would say 11 or 12 years old. And unfortunately, he turned out to be physically abusive to her and abusive to my brother and I. I guess this progression, it, it continued the anxiety, the fear, uh, being in a family environment where love was absent. It just was survival. My mother continued to, to get more involved in the alcoholism and more um, bitter as a person. And she took a lot of her anger and her bitterness out on, on my brother and I. So there was never a spiritual element um, that was presented during this period of time. And we never attended church. So we, we, we didn't have an understanding of God at all. It, it continues to drive your own emotional realm to a point where you have to literally steal yourself and be prepared. Is You're on guard because um, you don't know what's going to be around the next corner. A real defining point in my life came in my late 20s and I started really having some serious anxiety. The behavior that I would start to engage in would be to try to get needs met from others and to try to uh, fill the hole in my life that I felt um, the void that was there. I um, actually checked myself into a psychiatric ward because I hadn't slept for four or five days. So today we are starting a new series where we're trying to answer one question. And that question is this. 
What do you do when you find yourself in a hopeless situation? What do you do when that person that you love walks in and says, I don't love you anymore? What do you do when your child says, I'm not going to listen to you anymore? What do you do when the doctor says, there's nothing more that we can do to help you? What do you do like uh, when this morning in the, before the first service, a friend of mine came in and said, would you pray for my brother? He overdosed yesterday and today they're saying he's brain dead. So what do you do in a situation like that? What do you do in like Rick's story when the pain of your past won't let you live today? Just curious, how many of you have been in or maybe are in what feels like a hopeless situation? Number of us have been in that spot and and here's the, the reality. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. All of us at some point or another are gonna find ourselves in a hopeless situation. Uh, Hopeless situations really don't care who we are. Um, And we will all find ourselves face to face with the reality of like, this feels hopeless. And I don't know what to do. So I am so grateful that you are here today, uh, whether you're new with us or or not, or you're a regular attender, because God has got some amazing information to give us when it comes to those hopeless situations that we find ourselves in. And God's wisdom comes from us from the Bible. So we're going to look at a story in the Bible that's going to give us some amazing help in those difficult moments. And uh, actually, we're going to look at two stories found in the Bible in Mark chapter 5. So if you have a Bible with you, feel free to flip over to Mark chapter 5. If you need a Bible, we always have Bibles at the back of each seating section as our free gift to you. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, feel free to bring that up for the rest of us. The verses are going to come up on the screen. So let me tell you what we're going to find in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we're going to find two intertwined stories. And we're going to see how God uses these two stories to help us know what to do. Like, what's the first thing that we should do when we find ourselves in what feels like a hopeless situation? And we're going to see something else as we look at these two stories. We're going to do a little compare and contrast with these stories. And we're going to find out that in in this first story, we've got like this main story that feels like that should be the main story. And then we're going to see like a secondary story. And we're going to find out with God that sometimes it's really hard to determine what's the secondary story and what's the primary story. So we're going to start in verse 21. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21 says this, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then the leader of a local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please, please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. So Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. That's the main story. Verse 25 tells us the secondary story. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, 
she had gotten worse. So those are the, the main characters in these two stories. We have Jairus, a local leader. Um, he's in a desperate situation. We have a, a poor woman. So here's some of the compare and contrast that happens in this story. And I think it's so fascinating as we dig deeper into it. So we've got a man and we've got a woman. We've got a religious leader who's kind of a known person in a community, and we've got this, this poor woman who's most likely homeless. Like She spent everything she has. She doesn't have anything else. So there's a good chance that she's homeless. We've got somebody who's known, again, a religious leader in the community. Like Everybody would know who this guy is, and we've got this poor woman who, like, who would know her, know her. Probably not a whole lot of, of people would know her. They're both in hopeless situations. So Jairus, his daughter, is about to die, and so he's in this desperate spot. Jesus, please, would you please come and, and, and heal her? Again, that's a primary story. Secondary story is this woman with the bleeding issue, 12 years of, of this bleeding. And uh, if, if you have gone from doctor to doctor looking for help and you haven't gotten any, then you can identify with her story. And a number of you have done that. Like, I know I've talked to you. I've heard your story. And I know like, you can identify with her and say, like, I get it. I get the, the emotional roller coaster that you've been on, how difficult that has been for you. My wife knows what that's like. Uh, she has battled a, a, an issue in her life, a medical issue, and we spent two and a half years at one time trying to get a diagnosis, doctor to doctor to doctor. It took two and a half years just to even figure out what we were dealing with. My dad uh, battled leukemia for 11 years in his life and ended up losing that battle. And uh, my family knows what it's like to walk through that journey of this, this emotional roller coaster of maybe, maybe this new treatment, maybe this new doctor, maybe this new thing, and to feel like, man, I'm in a hopeless situation. So the spotlight kind of turns from Jairus and, and him and his story, and it turns to this poor woman. And so I want to spend just a few minutes just thinking about her. So, so think about her situation, okay? 12 years of bleeding, constant bleeding. So how would she wake up in the morning? Would she wake up excited about the day and the challenges that lie ahead? No, she wouldn't. She'd wake up exhausted, constantly exhausted, constant bleeding issues. So she would probably have about half of her mental capacity, the ability to process information and make decisions. She'd probably have about half of her physical ability to accomplish anything throughout the day. And so she's constantly tired, can't figure out like, what's wrong with me? I wake up exhausted, I go to bed exhausted, I wake up the next day exhausted again. Like, how am I gonna make it through the day? She can't find the energy to make it. And yet, every day, she's in this same spot. We don't know the financial status of her before these 12 years of, of constant bleeding, but after 12 years, she's broke. She spent everything she has to try to get better, and she's gotten no better. In fact, she's gotten worse. Now, here's a little background information into the gospel. So um, it's kind of humorous. Uh, in the book of Mark and the book of Luke records these stories. And uh, Luke kind of leaves out the fact that she's been to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, and gotten no help. What profession do you think Luke had? <laughs> he was a doctor. Yeah. How does that fit into our story? It doesn't. It really doesn't. Like, I have no point other than to say that. It's just Bible trivia. If you want to use it at lunch to impress your friends, it's kind of fun. Just a glimpse into the gospel. 
So we've got this, this woman who is battling not only health issues, she's battling not only um, some financial issues in her life, but she's also facing some relational and spiritual challenges. So for her, with her constant bleeding issue, that would make her, in the Jewish culture that she lived in, that would make her unclean. So she would get a label. This label is you are now unclean. Doesn't matter who she was before. Doesn't matter how much money she had before. Now she is in the unclean group, which meant no one would want her around. No one at all. No one would want to touch her or anything that she has touched. Because if they touch her, if they touch anything that she has touched, they become unclean and they get into that group. So nobody would want to be in that group. Nobody wants to be around here. Here's what it meant if you were in that group. You had to kind of live outside of the culture, outside of the community, outside of the town. You couldn't go to church. You couldn't go to the market. You couldn't go to the parties. You couldn't be around people in this kind of context because you were unclean and nobody wanted to be unclean. So you were kind of an outcast set outside of the community. Now, we don't know if this woman was a mom, but imagine if she was. Imagine if she was a mom, maybe had kids before this issue started. For 12 years of her life, she couldn't hold her kids. For 12 years of her life, she couldn't tuck her kids in bed at night. For 12 years of her life, she couldn't wipe away a tear from her kid's eyes. She couldn't scoop her kids up when they fall down and scrape their knee. She couldn't touch them. Imagine if she were married, could never receive a hug from her husband, could never receive a, a reaffirming embrace for that difficulty that she's walking through, couldn't be touched. And I think we understand the power of touch and she couldn't be touched by anyone. So we've got a woman who's in a desperate situation, desperate for God to work. So verse 27 says that, that she had heard of Jesus. I think it's fascinating knowing her story. So you, you understand her story. She spent everything she had on, on doctors and hasn't gotten better, but she heard of Jesus. Who's Jesus? Well, he's that guy who heals people. He's that guy who says to the storm, be calm, and it is. He's that guy who's cast out demons. And so uh, verse 28 says, she thought to herself, if I can just get close enough to Jesus, if I can just touch his robe, then maybe, maybe I'll be healed. So what does she do in a hopeless situation? She finds a little bit of hope just a little bit of hope. And maybe you're in that spot. Maybe you're in the spot and you're like, Man, there's no hope for my situation. And God wants you to know like, all you need is a little hope. Just a little hope. Hope to, to make it another hour. Just a little more hope to maybe make it another day. Just a little more hope maybe to make it another month. Just a little hope is all we need. So verse 27 says that she came up behind Jesus through the crowd and touched his robe. So why did she come up behind Jesus? Because she shouldn't be there. Really, it was kind of against the law for her to be there. No one would want her to be there. What they could do when they found her there was they could take her outside of the community and throw rocks at her, it's called stoning, and kill her by throwing rocks till she died. How fun does that sound? So she shouldn't be there. 
That's why she came up from behind. But she was so desperate. She came up behind and she worked her way through the crowd. Why? All the eyes were on Jesus. Everybody was focused on Jesus and what he was going to do. So she takes advantage of this moment, sees, here's an opportunity. If I have any opportunity, I've got to get to Jesus before he gets to Jairus' home. Because at that moment, it really is hopeless. I'll never be able to, to get to Jesus then. So she works her way through the crowd. And she's muscling her way as much as she can. Tired, exhausted, worn out, but she has this much hope. And so she steps in front of one person. That's a big guy. How am I going to get around him? I don't know, but I'm desperate. I'm going to get around him. I'll stay low. I'm going to come in and I just want to touch his robe. That's all I want. Verse 29 says, she touched his robe and instantly she was healed. Instantly. So listen to this. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? Jesus, really? Everybody's touching you. How can you ask this? But he kept on looking around him for who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Can you imagine that moment? She slips in, kind of under the radar, doesn't want anybody to know that she's there. And all she wants to do is get to Jesus. She touches Jesus. And then all she wants to do is get away from Jesus and get away from the crowd. She doesn't want to, to be known that she is there, and yet Jesus won't let that happen. So Jesus turns, pauses, creates this super awkward moment for her, and she probably thought, I'm done. I've been caught. I violated the law. I'm probably about to be stoned. Now, verse 33 is recorded in the English Standard Version of the Bible this way. It says, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, I wonder what the whole truth meant. What did that mean in that moment? So again, like Jesus stopped everything, asked who's done this. Here she is, you know, down on the ground in front of him, like in fear and trembling, her voice quivering. Everybody standing around watching and trying to figure out what are we going to do next? Oh, who's this woman? Oh, she's one of those unclean people. Fear and trembling, she tells him the whole truth. What did she say? Did she tell him about the 12 years of living this way? Did she tell him about living outside of the community and being rejected by her family, by her friends, everybody wanting her away from her? Did she talk about all the money that she'd spent? Jesus, I spent everything, like everything. And now I'm broke, like maybe I'm homeless. Did she talk about her kids if she had any? Did she talk about all those moments? Jesus, for 12 years, I can't touch my kids. I haven't been able to touch my husband. She talked about the loneliness that she'd felt. Did she talk about maybe those moments where she was, was potentially giving into walking away from her faith? 
did maybe she, she talk about the, the reality that maybe there were a few moments she thought life would be better if she were dead? Did she tell him, you know, Jesus, there were moments I contemplated suicide. I thought it'd just be better if I just ended it all. What was the whole truth in her situation? I'm not really sure. But let's pause for a moment on her story and look at our story. What's the whole truth for us? What's the whole truth in your story? What's the whole truth in my story? And I I think uh, what God often does in our stories is he creates a space like he did for this woman, a space where he says, I want you to get all that out. I want you to kind of vomit all that stuff out. So what do you need to tell Jesus? Like maybe you need to tell Jesus, like, I've been tempted to give up hope. I've been tempted to think that life would be better if I just weren't here. Maybe you've given in to some familiar sin just because you think, like, this is my only way to kind of cope with the situation that I'm in. It feels hopeless. So, like, this is the only way I know how to navigate life. And so, God, I walked away from you maybe, and I've stepped into this thing. What is the whole truth for you? What is the whole truth for me? I think God creates moments for us to tell him the whole truth. And I think maybe God's creating a moment today for some of us to do that. Now, I wonder if in telling the whole truth, this woman received more than just a physical healing. I wonder if there was an emotional healing and a spiritual healing, a deeper healing for her. So think about like what her life would be after that moment. She was no longer unclean. Imagine her uh, reunion with her family. I mean, again, if she, if she was married, if she had kids, imagine she could run into her husband's arms. She could scoop her kids up and hold on to them. Imagine her faith in that moment. Imagine, do you think she would struggle with faith at, at that moment? I don't think so. I think her faith would be huge if she found just this much hope. And now she's got this much hope. Hope in her God and what her God can do. An amazing moment. I think sometimes God allows physical hardship, relational hardship, financial hardship, because there's something he wants to do deeper in us. And I think sometimes God wants to heal us at a deeper level. I think sometimes God is more interested in healing us at the deeper level, at the heart level, at the spirit level, at the soul level. He's more interested in that than just the physical level. So maybe God's doing that in your world. Maybe God's allowing this physical issue, relational issue, financial issue, because there's something he wants to do. There's a healing that he wants to happen that can't just happen on the surface, that it's got to happen through difficulty and struggle and some time. Like for this woman, there's this 12-year journey. And maybe in your story, maybe in my story, God says, I'm going to let that happen for 12 years. And you don't understand why, but I'm going to let it happen. Why? Because on the other side of this, you're going to have a healing that's more complete than just your physical healing. Could that possibly be happening in your life? Yes. Verse 34 after she told Jesus the whole truth, look what he called her. He called her daughter. 
Like, I wonder, when was the last time anybody used a term of endearment with her? You know, she was the unclean woman. And now Jesus calls her daughter. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. All right, so that was the secondary story. Back to the main story. Imagine what's happening in Jairus' mind. Okay, what would you think if you were Jairus? You come to Jesus, you're the first one in line. Like, you are the first one in the public's deli line, and you got the little ticket to prove it. Okay, like everybody saw you pull the ticket. And they said, can I help you? And you said, yes, I need a pound of maple glazed turkey. And Jesus responded and said, I will go with you. You're number one. And then all of a sudden, this woman steps in, like cuts the line, like cuts in front of you and says, Jesus, I have this issue, bleeding issue. And what would you be thinking when all that happened? Like, I don't know what, what exactly Jairus was thinking, but I, I might be tempted to think, who in the world are you to cut in front of me? Here, uh, Jairus is a religious leader. So he potentially could say, like, I am the local synagogue leader. My daughter's about to die. I'm a somebody with a big issue, and you're a nobody with a small issue. He could have said that. I don't know what he thought. Uh, but what would you think in that moment? I think the cool thing about this story is when we, the more we learn about Jesus, the more we understand in God's kingdom, there are no nobodies. Everybody's a somebody to God. Everybody is a somebody. You are a somebody. Doesn't matter like how far from God you've been. Doesn't matter if, if you've been in church all of your life or if this is the very first day you've walked into the doors of a church. None of that matters. Because in God's eyes, everybody is a somebody. And you are a somebody. And so I can just imagine, this, the text doesn't record this for us, but I can just imagine Jesus saying to Jairus, I know your daughter has an issue, but I've got another daughter right here. And for at least the past 12 years, she's felt like a nobody, and I need her to know she's not a nobody. She's a somebody. I need her to know that her story's not a secondary story. Her story's a main story. So Jairus... We'll get to your daughter in just a minute, but I have another daughter I have to deal with in this moment. Verse 35 uh, says this about Jairus' story. While he was still speaking to her, this is Jesus speaking with this poor woman, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. So again, if you were Jairus, what would you think? Like, I, I can only imagine what I would think, but probably what would be going through my mind is, Jesus, why? I got to you first. You were on your way to heal my daughter, and if you would have gotten there sooner, just maybe there would have been hope. But Jesus, why did you pause to help her? Like, my issue, my hopeless situation was more important than her situation. Now it's too late. But the cool thing about God is it's never too late, ever. So verse 36, 
says, Jesus overheard them, and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Another way of saying, Jairus, I need you to trust me. I've got this. I need you to trust me. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the, the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw, how, uh, saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Do you think they listened to Jesus' strict instructions not to tell anyone? Like, absolutely not. Like, this is that moment, like, Jesus, sorry, we're going to disobey you. Sorry, we got to tell everybody. Like everybody in the community already knew. Like they had heard that that the messengers came and said, she's dead. Like, don't bother the master now. Like there's no hope. Like they heard that. And now here's this little girl walking around again. So I think they went out and told everybody what had happened in this story. Like I said earlier, sometimes it's hard to tell um, With God, what story is the primary story? What story is the secondary story? In God's kingdom, there are no secondary stories. They're all the main story. They're all the primary story. So in your situation, your story, God's not saying, hey, I'm too busy right now dealing with another issue. I'll get to you later. God's not saying that. God's saying your issue is just as important as anybody else's issue. Your story is a primary story. It's a main story to God. And God cares very deeply about your story and what's going on in that story. And God wants to help you take a step towards him. So here's what I think God wants us to know when it comes to hopeless situations. What's the very first thing that God wants us to do is God wants us to trust him. So I think God says to all of us, the same thing he says to Jairus. I think he looks to us and he says, Don't be afraid, have faith, or trust me. I need you to trust me. I got this. I got your marriage. I got your health issue. I got your financial struggle. I got that issue with your kid. Like, I got this. I I have it. But I want you to trust me in this moment. So after 12 years of suffering... The woman in our story could have easily resigned herself to the fact that she would never be healed. She could have easily said, this really is a hopeless situation. Nothing more can be done. I'll live this way until I die. But she didn't say that. She believed, she trusted that God could heal her. And Jairus could have easily said, after messengers came up and told him, your daughter's dead, he could have easily said, Jesus, like, no, don't, don't come. Like, you put someone in front of me. So Jesus like, no, really. Like, why don't you just go heal somebody else? Like, my situation is hopeless. But Jairus didn't do that. 
He let Jesus come to his home and do what only Jesus can do. And Rick, in our earlier video, Rick could have resigned himself to the fact that that maybe he's just going to have to live a life of anxiety and depression. Like, this is what I'm just going to have to do. This is how my mom raised me. These were the choices that she made, and it's had a major impact on me. I guess I'll just never be able to trust anyone ever. But Rick didn't say that. Rick said, I think I need to learn how to trust God and maybe God will bring a healing in my life that's bigger than just surface level. Listen to Rick's story again. I I reached out. I I realized that I was emotionally running out of energy and I was, life was not working. Life was becoming unmanageable for me. But I knew that this was the journey that I needed to take um, to find emotional wellness and to find recovery. And this is, again, just a a little over a year ago that I started this process. And I've had, I've seen God put people in my life that have encouraged me, supported me, edified me, loved me through this period. And it's been during this period of time that I've truly been able to allow myself to let some of the emotional guard down, to allow God to start to penetrate my heart and to really seek what He wanted for me in my life and he wants me to be healed emotionally spiritually and to walk out what his purpose is in my life and that's the process i've been on and as far as trust i'm i'm growing to trust but i'm still very much i i still struggle because there are times that i want to trust but I've been programmed for so many years of my life to not trust the people around me. And I've pushed people away for so many years. And to allow people to come in is a, is a scary process. But I've found that being involved in the group environment, having close friends to me that love me, is God working through these people. and. For probably the first time in my life, I've, I've, I've looked at it that way. And I've said, God, you're really here. God says that he chooses us. We don't choose him. And God chose me. Back when I was very young, he saw the pain. He saw what was going on. And he was not going to let me go. So as much as I wanted to push away everybody, and God included, I, I'm his. And so he knew that on my own, I I would not take this journey. But if I turn to him, he will take me through it and he'll walk with me through it so I can actually have true healing for the first time in my life. So what's the first thing we need to do when we find ourselves in a hopeless situation? Learn how to trust God. So as we close today, what do you need to trust God with? Is it a relationship? Maybe a marriage? 
Maybe a parent-child relationship. Maybe a sibling relationship. Maybe you feel like it's hopeless, like there's no hope for this relationship. I've just got to give up on it. And Maybe God's saying today, I just need you to trust me. just need you to take a, a step towards me with this hope that I can do something supernatural in that relationship. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe God's asking you to trust him with this financial issue. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe there's some pain in your past. Like maybe there's something that happened to you. Maybe somebody did something to you and you've just been dragging that around for so long and it's kept you from living today. Maybe God's asking you to trust him with that thing so he can bring a deeper healing in your life than what could happen outside of it. I'm not sure what God might be asking you to trust him with, but will you trust him? And is there any truth that you need to tell God? Again, Jesus created a space for that woman to tell him the whole truth. What's the whole truth for you? I think Jesus is creating a space for you to tell that, and I think he's saying, I want to hear it. I want to hear all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. Just get all that out. And trust me to help you step beyond all that stuff. As we close today, our worship team's going to come out, and they're going to uh, guide us through a song called Come As You Are. And it's a great song. And I think the song kind of captures the heart of our God. And I, I think God says to all of us, come as you are. Like, you don't have to go clean up your life to come to me. Just come to me. How you are, where you are, doesn't matter how far from God you think you've been, doesn't matter what you've done. I think Jesus says, just, just come to me and learn how to trust me. So what I encourage you to do during this song is to uh, begin a conversation with God about that trust issue or continue that conversation with God. Like maybe you need to, to tell the whole truth in this moment. And we're going to create a space for you to do that. Now, if you need prayer, like someone to pray with you, and there are moments where like we're not even sure what to say. We're not even sure how to begin the conversation with God. And sometimes we just need somebody to help us do that. So if you need prayer this morning, we're going to have a small team of people in this back corner over here that would love to pray with you. So there's a little sign over there that says prayer. And you'll find somebody in the corner that's got a sticker that says prayer on it. So all you have to do during this song is just excuse yourself from your seat and go in that back corner and find somebody with a sticker and say, would you please pray for me? And they would love to do that for you. So what do you need to trust God with? today. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me as we do that? God, I'm so grateful for Bible stories like this, where you communicate so many things to us, things that we didn't even really get into today. But but Lord, when we see we've got this comparison between uh, Jairus and this poor woman and, and the reminder that you say it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how many letters you have by, behind your name or your religious background or if you have none, none of that matters. God, all of our stories, our primary stories to you, we're all somebody because you love us deeply. You sent Jesus to die for each and every one of us and you want us to know that. You want us to step towards you in those moments where we feel like we're we're hopeless. This is a hopeless situation. I'm so grateful that you are the God of hope and you tell us you just need a little bit of hope. 
to make it through another hour, another day, another week, another month. All we have to do is trust you and you'll work in our situations. Lord, sometimes you will, you will work a deeper healing in us through that difficulty. And Lord, I pray for our church family today. Lord, I just know that there are some people here that you wanna heal like their heart. You wanna heal this hurt that they've been dragging around for a long time. And you've used this difficult situation, this hopeless situation to do that. And Lord, I pray that today they would be able to walk away from that thing with a whole new freedom in their relationship with you. That I pray that all of us would take a big step towards trusting in you, no matter what our situation is, that we would know that you can be trusted and you will help us discover hope even in situations that feel hopeless. So Lord, today we come to you. We come as we are. We come, we come with our baggage. We come with like, just all the garbage that, that we feel like we need to vent. And you say, vent it. Tell me. Tell me. And learn how to trust me through this. So Lord, guide us through this, I pray, today. Teach us how to trust you. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this, amen.